Welcome to Lifespan Live with your host, Eugene Ardino. Hello everyone, I'm Eugene Ardino, the Chief Executive of Lifespan, and welcome to our live podcast series where we discuss key issues for advice businesses. In these podcasts, we'll discuss everything from technical and compliance issues and regulatory change through to soft skills and marketing. Today I'm joined by Jill Tungan, our National Practice Consultant, who also heads up Lifespan Partnership, and we're going to have a chat about what's been driving the trend towards self-licensing and general trends in the advice industry over the last year or so, and some of the key challenges and needs for the advice business sector moving forward. Jill, let's talk about the shift in the advice industry, in particular the move away from institution, institutional um, licensing um, to non-institutional licensing and in particular to self-licensing which has been I think the biggest one of the biggest growth areas Um, what do you think what what do you think is causing that it's really largely got to do with dissatisfaction stemming uh, from industry change so there's been a lot of change um, exerted by the Royal Commission uh, and uh, most of it has been around um, compliance overarching compliance that's become very restrictive in terms of its protocols. Um, And so those perhaps more established practices who have processes and systems in place to provide very compliant advice have been captured in those more restrictive protocols. And so they probably feel they're at a level of scale um, that they can exert their own influence and utilize their experience and their systems to deliver compliant advice in their own license. So I think that's got a lot to do with it. To a lesser extent, probably succession planning. So education has um, meant that education changes have meant that um, many are looking at extending um, their education needs. And uh, there's, you know, many that don't want to do that. And so succession planning um, has been a part of their focus uh, over the next perhaps five years. And so moving into their own license has often been a way for them to feel like their business is perhaps more universally appealing, not in all cases. Mm. But um, as I said, there's a lesser extent um, around that self-licensing, I think, that's prompted that move to self-licensing. And thanks, Jill. And speaking from what we're seeing on the dealer group side of our business, we're seeing you know enormous demand for our services, for advisors who are either being forced to leave institutions uh, because they're closing down their advice businesses or who are just wanting to to move away and join a group that um, is privately owned or less institutionally minded, I suppose. But yeah, there's definitely an element of of advisors that are deciding that they're gonna move away and get their own license. Um, Let's talk about some of the benefits, or perhaps some of the pros and cons of being self-licensed. The biggest benefit that I've always seen, I've had a few of our larger practices consider whether or not being self-licensed is right for them, and my response has generally been, obviously, there's a commercial uh, want for me not to get self-licensed. Although, um, you know, from my point of view, I think the, the, main, the best reason or the most important thing to a self-licensed advisor that I see is about freedom and, and having your own, um, your own profile, your own identity, not having to answer to or, or be, be supervised by uh, a licensee. And that's very, very important to... A lot of self-licensees. The other, the other thing that I see is 
there are certain business models, advice business models that are very difficult to supervise and monitor effectively. And I've often felt that a lot of these types of businesses um, that fit that profile probably should go and, and get their own license as well. But how do you see it, Jill? Uh, yeah, that's a great summary. Um, I'd say overall, uh, it would be the ability um, for them to exert their fierceness of their independent thinking. So a lot of them, as I mentioned earlier, are established. They've got good scale, um, so they can actually afford to utilise those benefits of, of scale to really set up or build their own empire. And a lot of self-licensees I come across are very considered in their decision to become a self-licensee. Mm. And so they've probably already always had that mindset that moving to a self-license was something that would fit them. Um, and so all of a sudden there's been a bit of a trigger um, for that consideration to occur. And so the scale that they have gives them the ability to choose. You know, they don't have to use a specific software. They don't have to use a specific research provider. They can actually branch out and use um, consultants if they like. Um, you know, they can set up their own investment methodology. So these sort of things were really enforced upon them by uh, their previous dealer group. And as I also mentioned previously, the protocols became quite restrictive in, in uh, many, many senses. So uh, I think that, that's been kind of the, the big um, impetus um, for self-licensees. Yeah, it is, it is. As a dealer group, it is uh, a difficult balance to find, to not to be too intrusive and too restrictive of your advisors, uh, but they're not given too much freedom so as you can't supervise and monitor them. And that's a, a balancing act that every licensee has to play. Um, so we've talked about some of the, the, the positives of being self-licensed. What about some of the negatives? I mean, from my point of view, um, looking at looking at the authorised reps that I know within Lifespan, um, some of the benefits of being within a dealer group is that you can leverage off the scale. Um, you're in a community. And I know that, you know, with communities like Lifespan Partnership, we can bridge some of these gaps, which is great. But what are some of the challenges uh, for self-licensees? Yeah, absolutely. So it's probably the mindset that now now they kind of run their own business. So they're responsible for a lot more than just kind of providing advice. They're yeah. actually running a business as well. So there's got to be a certain level of business acumen um, applied within the business um, to ensure it runs profitably um, and sustainably. Um, so that's a challenge, just understanding what a support service provider can provide you with, particularly in terms of compliance, but also what your compliance obligations are as a part of being um, a self-licensee. And there is a bit of a, a line between the two. So it's probably that. It's also moving and, and, and settling into groove, if you like. So all of a sudden you've got um, a little bit of time required to kind of settle in, understand what your AFSL obligations look like and put time into actually meeting them. So it can be finding the time, it can be not understanding the timing of the AFSL mm. obligations. So, you know, that first 12 months particularly, I'd say even two years, can be um, challenging from the perspective of uncertainty. Uh, and that uncertainty as humans is probably what we least like. Um, so that's a part of it. It's also that your, um, your options open up. All of a sudden, you can have conversations with technology providers, not just those that generate an SOA, but those that have client engagement tools, uh, those 
that you know are designed to provide compliance reg tech. So all of a sudden, you can spend a lot of time having a lot of chats, um, but your decision may not have been narrowed down too much. So just timing, um, perhaps a little bit of the unknown, and the fact that your options really open up. Um, I think that can kind of throw out um, streamlined processes that might have been running quite nicely. Um, and also there's an attitude, I think, with self-licensees to really um, build their empire and discover what it, what they can do better. And so looking at these tech providers, looking at different support service providers is all a part of it, and that does take time. And when you're, when you have, when you're self-licensed, you're running a licensee, so you're an advice provider, but you're also running a licensee, which has its own set of rules and governance conditions and, and other requirements. So, um, and whilst you can, you can get help with that, you can outsource bits and pieces, you're responsible for it. So you're in a sense running two whilst linked things, they're two separate sets of obligations. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something to be really mindful of. and. And um, it's a question of whether or not that's something you want to be as well as an advisor. It's very important. Yeah. And, and, and you know, having run a licensee for, for, for a fair while, I know that there's quite a lot that, that, is, that is involved in that. So, all right, good. What sort of support services do advice practices typically need to move successfully to self-licensing? Yeah, well, I think there's probably um, definitely a few kind of core services um, and uh, a partnership, we've broken them into modules. So I'd have to say practice consultancy, education and training and compliance, so probably your three core um, obligations. And so, you know, they will meet the AFSL obligations and so support service providers should be actually offering um, those services. Um, and that extends anything from kind of PD days to earn CPD through webinars. It can be um, an induction program provided to your junior staff. Uh, it can be um, really picking apart your business and looking at your client value proposition, your pricing and your segmentation. I think they're foundation needs that every group should get right. Um, and that links into then the conviction that your staff have in obviously um, promoting what you do and how you do it and also a consistent message. Um, so and, and a basic business plan you know, is another um, need that should be updated every year so you're tracking um, you know, to your objectives. So um, I think we talked a lot about compliance. Um, so I really wanted to mention um, those other things because I think they're really quite important. And obviously there's your basic templates and your tools and, and whatnot that um, we offer as well. I think you should be really um, tapping into those mm. um, if you're tapping into support service, services. Yeah, because essentially we've taken all the support services that we provide as yeah. a licensee yeah. and we've repackaged them up to yeah. be able to be used for running your own. Yeah. So, so, and we've packaged up, you know, the twenty-five years of experience that we've had, um, and 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 made that available. So, it bridges some of that gap that you have between being self-licensed and completely outsourcing yeah. the licensing to a dealer group to enable you to outsource, you know, most of it. Um, I th really think we're leveraging know? off your experience yeah. and leveraging off, um, you know, the some of the challenges you've come across Absolutely. In, in the dealer group. And I think that's really important. Benefiting from some of our mistakes, I suppose, over the years. Absolutely. We do make mistakes. No, we, we do like to do that. It's good. Just, yeah. Good. Can you tell us how Lifespan Partnership can help advisors who are considering moving to self-licensing? 
Yeah, so that's a big step. Um, as I said, most self-licensees, I think, take that step in a quite a considered manner, but it doesn't necessarily, necessarily prepare them um, once they're within their own licence. So we will actually assist them um, with their own application. So we'll, we'll actually provide that process for them um, and, and walk them through it and ensure that what they're preparing for ASIC um, you know, is within the boundaries that, that we think ASIC um, will be comfortable with. You tend to get one shot at ASIC, um, and if you don't do that well, uh, you can go to the bottom of the pile pretty quickly, and the time frame for getting your own licence can really draw out. So it's quite important to appoint a professional uh, to do that. So we will absolutely um, assist them with that. And then, um, you know, they sign up to our four modules for 12 months because in my experience they need that support within the 12, first 12 months. I, I actually would almost say two Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it informative. This podcast is for you as advice industry practitioners. So if you have any ideas, feedback or suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear them. Please get in touch with us at info at lifespanfp.com.au or visit us on one of our websites, lifespanpartnership.com.au or lifespanfp.com.au.